Welcome. This is the first episode in a six-part series on Diferente about access. Access is a hot topic these days. Some want to restrict it, others want to protect it. But the fact remains that our communities need access to education, mentorship, financial freedom, sports, networking, and strong representation and community leadership in order to grow. Access is what some people would consider a privilege. And that's true because you could have all the tools and talent in the world, but if you don't have access, how will anyone know your name? Speaking of names, my guest for this episode is an expert at remembering people's names, which is one of the ways that he has built a solid reputation as a former professional athlete and a sports broadcaster. Why did I pick sports for a topic on this series? Because sports open doors and not just in the professional sense. They teach us so much about team building, leadership, community, and hard work. Sports can help build character and careers. Through sports, I have seen many people grow in their lives, from getting an education to building relationships and having access to incredible mentors and resources that might otherwise be hard to come by. My guest is former NBA player and Buckeye, Clark Kellogg, who has been a sports broadcaster since he retired from the league. He's benefited tremendously from the access and opportunities that were made available to him through athletics. But he also knows that in sports, you have to learn to deal with adversity, which comes very handy in real life, as well as staying humble when you excel. Clark has tons of advice and knowledge to share, and he's a genuine human being who truly cares about making a positive impact in people's lives. He even threw in some marriage advice. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life. And it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Mr. Clark Kellogg, thank you so much for being on Diferente. Welcome to the show. My pleasure, Maribel. Good to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation. I am as well. So I'm going to get right into it because people already know who you are because you're kind of a legend. <laughs> That's an overstatement. When did you first fall in love with basketball? Wow. I was a football nut early on, Maribel. Probably by the time I was nine or 10 years old, basketball had become my sport of choice. And I ate it, slept it, drank it, read about it, and watched it, and obviously played it from daylight to dark whenever I could. Just fell in love with the game. I'd say probably at the age of 10 is when it really grabbed hold of me. And you're originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Grew up on the east side of Cleveland. Uh huh. Where did you go to high school? I ended up going to high school at St. Joseph High School. It was an all-boys Catholic high school at the time I was there. I'm the high school class of 1979. But now the school is called Villa Angela St. Joe's, V-A-S-J, because it became co-ed in 1991, somewhere in that window. Oh. Oh, okay. And then you moved on to college, which was Ohio State. 
the Ohio State <laughs> University. <laughs> so you went to the Ohio State University. Tell me a little bit about your experience there. Fantastic. But it was fairly myopic for me. I was a scholarship student athlete, obviously got a basketball scholarship to attend Ohio State. Had a really good experience on the court, off the court. But as a student athlete, particularly, I think it's in all sports, but particularly in the revenue generating sports, football and basketball, it is a bit of a full-time job for the most part, school and your respective sport practices, traveling games. I did work a little bit during the Mm off-season in an insurance agency with one of my mentors from Cleveland. But most of my experience was around being a basketball player and then trying to do the best I could in the classroom. I enjoyed school, enjoyed some of the social activities on campus at Ohio State, and um, am a proud alum of Buckeye Nation. And before you decided you wanted to be a professional basketball player, what was your dream job as a kid? You know, when I thought about going into the business world, I didn't really know what that encompassed or what that meant. But I had an interest in numbers and math and wanted to be successful. Business was a general career path that I thought about pursuing. I actually was a marketing major in college and got my degree in marketing. My mentor, who's still a dear friend of mine, who was a very successful insurance agent, befriended me when I was 15, 16 years old. And I spent four summers, my last two summers of high school, and then my first two summers of college working in his insurance agency and learning the business and actually got my license to sell property and casualty insurance as soon as I was 18 and was able to pass the test. So I was enthralled with business got a pretty good up-close firsthand education in the insurance business through my mentor, Ira Novak, and thought about pursuing that in addition to chasing the dream of being a pro basketball player. What is the biggest life lesson that you learned while playing college basketball? Oh, there are a number of things that I think are really transferable from the world of sports to your life. Being a self-starter, initiative, handling the ups and downs, the wins and losses that are part of athletic competition, the discipline required to try to be your best in your respective sport. All of those things are still lessons that I use, characteristics that I hold dear in my life after basketball. And I'm always curious about this next question. I always ask this of professional athletes. Do you think it's important for college athletes to finish their degree before moving forward in their athletic pursuits? Yeah, you know, to me, it's a it's a matter of personal choice when you think about the importance of finishing your education or pursuing your athletic dream. And for me, I left school after my junior year, had a promising MBA career cut short after just five years due to knee injury. But even though I left school in 1982 after my third year of college, I eventually finished and got my undergraduate degree in marketing in 1996. And I did it because I wanted to finish what I started. I valued being a college graduate. I wanted to be a college graduate. And I wanted it to be a symbol of hard work and perseverance to my children because I wanted to be able to testify to the fact that I had finished college. Even though it took me a circuitous route, I did get it done. And I get a chance through my platform as a former NBA player and currently as a broadcaster, to speak to young people in various settings. And I want to be able to hold up the importance of education in a real and personal way 
And that degree for me was multifaceted in what it meant. It meant I finished and it would certainly keep any doors from being closed that might be closed if I didn't have a college degree. But did you think it was a little bit easier for you to go back to school because of who you were at that time? Um, I don't know if it was necessarily easier, but clearly there were some advantages in that financially I was not going to college to pursue a living because I was already making a very good living as a former player and a broadcaster. So from that standpoint, there was no financial pressure. But I had gotten married in 1983. We had our three children in years 87, 89, and 91. So I was juggling not only my professional life, but my personal life with a family and three children as I was attempting to finish school. So it was challenging from that standpoint. But financially, clearly, it was something I was doing because I wanted to do it and I didn't have to. Saying easy, no, less stressful, yes, but still a bit of a challenge. And quite honestly, in many ways, because I was moving forward in my broadcasting career without a college degree, I don't necessarily know if I would have needed it to continue to do what I was doing. But for me, it was closing a loop and it was important for me to be able to say that I graduated from college. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next is how were you able to make the transition from being a basketball player to being a sports broadcaster? You know, when you get to the level of the NBA, or quite honestly, even if you play professionally in the G League or in Europe, when you get to that level of a sport, you've basically gained either a master's or a PhD in that sport with all of the time that you've put in with all that you've learned about yourself and about the game and to be able to excel and compete at that level, you've gained a tremendous education in basketball. And so I had that and making the transition to broadcasting was just a matter of understanding how to communicate that knowledge and experience in a way that would inform and entertain listeners or viewers. And I had to learn the nuts and bolts of broadcasting, how to make concise thoughts, how to work well with the team that I was working with, both my on-air partner and the folks behind the scenes, how to continue to expand my vocabulary to be able to say the same things in different ways. So learning to broadcast was the biggest challenge, but I approached it much the same way as I did playing. Let's find out how you can get better, solicit constructive criticism, and then let's do the work required to improve and to strive for excellence. And again, transferable skills, the discipline, the initiative, the hard work, the perseverance, those things that I learned playing basketball have served me very well in my work as a broadcaster. Did you have any mentors who helped you make that transition? A number of mentors. I talked about Ira Novak, who's been a dear friend of mine since I was 16 years old, over 40 years now, has really helped me in the world of business and in life in general. And then I had some broadcasting mentors, partners that I worked with who were able to offer me good, sound advice as to how to grow and develop as a commentator. And one of the greatest pieces of advice I got from one of my early partners, um, Denny Schreiner, was that you have to be yourself. 
and you have to be committed to doing the work so you're prepared to handle whatever might come your way during the course of a broadcast. And I had a number of other partners echo those same sentiments. Um, One of my other early mentors, Eddie Doucette, was a longtime NBA broadcaster and really emphasized to me not to let broadcasting use me, but to see it as a means to an end and not necessarily an end of itself. Recognize that you're never um, indispensable, that you always have to continue to hone your craft and strive for excellence and realize it's a very subjective business. There's a standard of excellence that everybody can agree to, but sometimes the best people don't continue to get the best assignments for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. So don't let it use you. Make sure that you have your eyes wide open about how um, the game is played as a broadcaster. Well, you're clearly a multi-talented individual, and they say that one of those talents that you have is remembering people's names. Do you truly remember everyone you meet? I really try to, Mary Bell. It's a really simple thing. And my mentor in Cleveland, Ira Novak, really affirmed me in that skill early on when I was working with him. And we'd go visit some of his clients that he sold insurance to. And I had a pretty natural aptitude for remembering their names and associating their names with their business and being able to recall them fairly quickly. And once I saw that meant a lot to other people, then I really made an effort to make that part of how I would operate. I think everybody wants to be called by their name. And when you have visibility that I have through playing basketball, both in high school, college, and the pros, and then being very public in the world of college basketball broadcasting, A lot of people call me by my name because they know it. So I try to make it a point when I meet people, particularly if I'm going to see them multiple times, that I can call them by name just as they call me by name. I think that's so cool. And it's so important to remember people's names because it basically says that you actually care about the time that you spent with them and that they made some kind of impression on you. And I think that people really value that, and it makes others feel like they matter. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And it really is part of our humanity. I mean, to me, it's uh, a small thing, but it's a big thing. And um, I'm fairly maniacal about it. I drive my wife and children crazy with it at times. But it really is important to make an effort to give yourself to other people. And that's one way you can is by acknowledging who they are. And if you have time, finding out a little bit about them and their story, because again, the spotlight has been on me for a long time through playing basketball and even now over the last 30 years, broadcasting basketball. And I understand it, appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. But I didn't get into playing basketball to become famous. I enjoyed the game. I wanted to be as good as I could be at it. It's provided me a lifestyle and an opportunity to do things that I only dreamt about initially. I didn't get into broadcasting to become popular. I did it because it was something I enjoyed. It was another way to um, continue being close to the game that has served me so well and that I've loved for well over 35 years. And so, The byproduct of doing a good job on the court behind the microphone is that those people that follow the game know you and 
get a chance to feel close to you through your voice and your commentary or your playing when you're on the court. And so I accept it, but we're all human and we're all desirous of respectful interaction. And I think it's important that I make the effort consistently to be that. What has being in the spotlight taught you as a human being? Well, the public is fickle and favor with the public is fleeting, but it's nice when it's there. And nobody is accepted by everybody, nor is everybody rejected by everybody. In other words, we're all part of the grand landscape of of humanity. There are some folks that really enjoy us. There are others who could just as well not interact with us. And being a public figure means that not all of your criticism is going to be constructive or positive. You're going to get both sides of it. So I try to focus on my identity being about who I am from the inside out, not necessarily what I do and how people respond to that. That's so important because otherwise you will crumble from all the criticism and all of the hate and all the negativity that can come your way. I think at times that's hard to deal with. How do you deal with the haters or the negativity? I think it's part of the territory. I mean, everybody has an opinion. And again, what we do as broadcasters, what I do as a broadcaster is fairly public for those that follow the game. And I'm not foolish enough or naive enough to think that everybody enjoys how I commentate and who I am and what I represent. But I do realize that by and large, most people respect who I am and how I go about trying to do my job. Everybody wants to be accepted and appreciated and applauded and patted on the back. I'm no different in that regard. But I understand that the reality is not all of the comments made about you are going to be positive and the vibe that people have for you and around you is going to be different based on who they are and where they are. It doesn't change how I try to deal with everybody, no matter what the circumstance. So again, my identity is not tied in what I do. It's tied in who I am. And as a believer in God through faith in Christ, I'm a Christian first and foremost. And that really is my uh, North Star and my anchor, my relationship with God through faith in Christ. And because of what I believe about what God says about me, then I'm much better positioned to handle any of the negativity that will occasionally come my way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, How do you stay centered and who are the people in your life that surround you and help you stay humble and centered? Well, again, it starts with God through faith in Christ. My time in the Bible is water for my soul and my mind. But then right next to me in terms of human engagement, my wife, Rosie, her and I have been together for 35 years in marriage, 38 years all together. And she is a tremendous helpmate and partner and friend and confidant and counselor. And she's real with me about my work, about my handling the responsibilities I have as a husband to her and a father to our children. And she, um, keeps it real with me consistently in a loving way. So our partnership and relationship is critically important because her support, sacrifice, and understanding is uh, something I can't put a value on other than it's invaluable. 
and a significant part of who I am and how I try to carry myself because I'm representing um, not only God, but I'm representing my wife and my family in everything that I do in a public way. So her support. And then I've got a ton of really good friends, some, a circle of men, fellow Christian men that I lean into for um, encouragement, for counsel, for accountability. That combination of God and his word and the spirit of Christ in me, my wife, our children, mentors and friends, other men that I can find support and um, honest counsel in. I'm a blessed man beyond measure in that regard. So as a side note, I watched that video of you playing horse with President Obama in 2010. Did you really miss those shots on purpose? I gave him an opportunity to get back in the game, but that doesn't take away from President Barack Obama winning the game in the clutch because I was on top of him early. Probably, I think I had him down a few letters and I figured I would still, even if he closed the gap, that I would still be able to win at the end. And he just so happened to take the momentum and run all the way to the finish line with it. And after we played, he actually laid it out exactly as it had, as it had happened. I mean, he, he knew exactly what had transpired and explained it to the people better than I could have. But it was a great moment, though. It was a great moment. It was a lot of fun. It was. I really enjoyed watching it, and I'm definitely going to link to it on the show notes and in the um, on our website for this episode. So people can check it out because it's a great little video. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. So transitioning a little bit, I'm a Bobcat, as you know, and I know what it's like to be an underdog. And your son, Nick, went to OU, so he knows probably what it's like to be a little bit of an underdog, even though they went to the Sweet 16 that year, I remember. I'll never forget it. But I've learned that sports truly open doors for people and grant them access to opportunities that they might not have been able to reach before. Do you think that you would be where you are today without basketball? No way. It's a wonderful launching pad for so many young people to have the doors of opportunity open to them and the horizons broadened for young people. Because ultimately, when you have an opportunity to experience the world through sports, and I'm assuming that world includes education as part of the backdrop for participating in sports, then it does open your eyes to tremendous opportunities for your life. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate of sports participation for those who are interested and inclined to enjoy sports. Now, there are other extracurricular activities that can have the same impact and influence. The arts, business, science, and I mean, it's a matter of interest. But when you talk about sports, I certainly am testimony to a life that's been enhanced greatly 
through sports and education. And those two go hand in hand. My athletic ability got me an opportunity to get a college education. And that education wasn't just the classroom. It was experiencing other people, being able to go places and see things that perhaps I wouldn't have been able to have opportunity to explore different interests based on the backgrounds of people that I interacted with in college, to see how broad the world is and the number of opportunities that are available to you with some work ethic and some initiative and some drive and some perseverance. Those are things that aren't necessarily, I mean, you don't have to be a certain person or a certain ethnicity or race or size to be able to develop those lifelong, life-enhancing traits. And sports helped me develop those things and then enhance them throughout my life. So no, I'm a huge proponent of participation in sports. The lessons that we can learn through active participation is uh, they're, they're invaluable and can serve you for a lifetime. We obviously know that a lot of people are not going to get to go play professional basketball or professional sports, but what is the biggest value there is in playing sports as a kid? I think a couple of things, teamwork, and I'm thinking team sports because I come from basketball, but even in individual sports, there can be a team element to them. And then the fact that you have to be able to handle adversity. You're not going to win every time you compete in sports. It's just not possible. You're going to lose at times. You're going to get outplayed or you're going to have something go against you. So the dealing with adversity, the handling of losing I won't necessarily fail you, say failure, but when you lose, when you come up shorter than you hope to, how do you rebound from that? How do you move forward? And then how do you handle being victorious? I mean, there's an element of grace and humility that should be part of how you handle winning when you excel. So those two things are two different sides of the same coin, but those are extremely valuable in life because, again, life is going to throw things at you that you can't control that you can't be victorious over at times, and yet you're going to still be required to get up and take the next step or to move the next place. And so that dealing with um, the reality of adversity and how you're going to handle that, and you learn about yourself, I think really identifying who you are and what's important to you, what are you willing to sacrifice to get where you want to go, those are some things that oftentimes sports participation brings to the surface. I'm so glad that you brought up that losing is not the same as failing. What are some of the best lessons you've learned through losing? Well, first and foremost, it's not necessarily, and I know this is a bit of a cliche, but it really is true and it should be true in our lives that coming up short on the scoreboard or not getting a championship ring does not mean you are not a champion caliber player or person. And I think it's important to try to be a champion caliber person in all that you do. And in the world of sports, we take a look at wins and losses, championships and championship rings. And I don't begrudge anybody that chases those. And I'm happy for those who achieve them. But there are far more participants in sports that do not get championship rings but still live championship lives than there are that win championships. So to me, one of the things that I've learned from losing is that even though you lose or come up short, 
if you've given your best effort and can live with that, then you haven't really lost. You've just come up short. And therefore, you can still have a champion's mentality, even when you fall a little short of your goal. That, to me, is one of the great lessons that I've taken from being one that's lost quite a bit in sports. Losing is not failure. It's just coming up short. And it gives you a way to measure where you were, where you are, and how you try to move forward. Going back to education and sports, do you think that we put too much emphasis on sports and not enough on education? I think in the college space, especially in the revenue-generating sports of football and basketball, the value proposition of education has been lost in this outcry for the student-athletes to be paid as if it's a business. There's a business element to it. There's no question about it. There's commercialization of football and basketball in particular. And there clearly is work to be done in balancing that scale a bit. But I think a big part of balancing the scale is re-recognizing the significant value of an education that can be gained by these student athletes that participate in these sports and to not diminish the value of that. Make sure that the education is a meaningful one so that it has value, but there's great value in that education in the classroom and the um, extended pieces of the education that a college experience provides in setting up individuals for productive, successful lives long-term. Because as you mentioned earlier, the vast majority of those who play sports at the high school and college level will not be professionals. But the lessons gleaned and the education earned through participation is something that can have a long-term impact on the success of those individuals' lives and therefore impacting the nature of our communities and our world. And I think that oftentimes gets lost in the conversation. There's great value in education for citizenship, for scholarship, and for impact long-term. What advice do you wish that someone had given you when you were younger? Like, let's say when you were in college. The one thing I would really do do differently if I went to college at this day and age, knowing what I know now, is that I would really balance my time to engage in more of the student activity outside of going to class and my sport, which was basketball. I would really try to connect to one or two student organizations of interest to me personally, to engage a little more in the college experience in a more diversified way versus pretty much being focused on doing well in school and then playing my sport. I would have tried to branch out and really embrace more of the educational opportunities outside of just the major that I was in. Now, we know that sports opened the door to being a broadcaster. What other opportunities and access have sports allowed you to have? Because of the visibility I've gained through sports, the um, opportunity to speak to different types of groups, be their business groups, um, youngsters aspiring to be college or pro athletes, various settings I've had the opportunity to speak in. Those have been really neat opportunities to um, be exposed to to the business world in a rather unique way. Again, there's uh, 
an esteem that comes with being involved in sports that connects to people across all types of spectrums. And therefore, you have access to learning about other people, other businesses through your participation in sports. That's one of the greatest values I've gained being a former athlete is that people tend to want to hear your story. And in hearing your story, you get a chance to delve into their stories and learn through conversation. The other thing that sports opens the doors to is participating in sports is some of the other career opportunities that are connected to sports outside of participating as a player or coach. I've gone the broadcasting route, but there are producers and directors that work on our telecast. There are technical directors. There are camera operators. There are those who sell the advertising in the world of sports. So there are a number of branches on the sports tree that you can have access to through participating or just through exposure and recognizing that there are a number of ways to connect to sports in career paths that don't include playing or coaching or broadcasting. What would you say to anyone who wants to chase a dream, whether it be in sports or in business or wherever that might lead them? What kind of advice would you give someone who just has a dream and really wants to achieve it? Well, I think you have to pursue your dreams. I mean, I don't think you can ever stifle someone's dream. There has to be some realistic acknowledgement of what the opportunities are, what the challenges are, but dreaming and chasing your dreams is really important because if something's birthed in your heart and in your spirit and you have an aptitude for it or a giftedness for it, a drive to do it, then you've got to pursue it. And uh, to do so with your eyes wide open and with as much help and support as you can get. And in some cases, you have to go it alone. But something that drives you strongly, that's a dream, I think you, you have to pursue it until you realize that you can't reach it. But I think it's important that, that you don't let anybody dissuade you from pursuing it. But again, realistically approaching it, I think, is the uh, balancing of the equation that you need to have. You know, you don't ever want to stifle dreams and you want people to own their dreams. Sometimes people pursue things because other folks have put it on them or put it in front of them. But when somebody has something that is self-birthed or self-driven, then you want to see people reach for those because in the reaching, there's growth. And sometimes in the reaching, there's attainment that opens up unbelievable doors of influence and gratification and impact. You could list countless folks that had dreams that were reached that impacted not only them and their communities, but generations behind them. You think about education, you think about business, medicine, the world of sports, how sports in many cases um, has lifted people from a status of life that was poverty or below, and then it's raised the level for them and their families after them. So um, dream chasing is important. It's inspirational too. When you see somebody that's reached and realized their dream, that gives fuel to your fire for your dream, and it kind of perpetuates itself. So it's, um, it's part of the human spirit to reach for 
things that are maybe a little beyond us, and yet there's ways to get there if we'll stay the course. I want to talk about another point of access in sports, which is golf. You're a golfer too. I feel that golf is a perfect example of how sports allow us access to people that we might not be able to connect with otherwise. What do you think about golf as a career-building resource? I wish I had started the game earlier, first and foremost, because you start late, it's hard to get a handle on the basic fundamentals of the game. And then when you're six nine, it's even more challenging. But from the standpoint of access, interacting with people, it's a wonderful social competitive game. And clearly the game of golf teaches some fundamental lessons around honesty, integrity, controlling your emotions, managing yourself between the fairways and greens of a golf course, interacting with people that are different in terms of personality, competitiveness. I mean, there's just so many valuable lessons. And in many cases, golf is a game that in a lot of ways requires a certain amount of income and free time. Those aren't barriers to the game, but they can be in some populations. But when you get to the game itself, no matter where you come from, if you're in the game and exposed to it, then you have a chance to tap into all that the game offers in terms of access, interaction, relationship building, skills developed in terms of how you communicate with different people in different ways. I love that element of the game in addition to the competition with yourself as somebody that plays the game. You've listened to Diferente before, so you know that I have two more questions before we wrap this up. Number one, what is your passion? And number two, how do you define success? My passion is uh, my relationship with the Lord. That really has become my passion over the last 25 years to know God better through studying the Word, through living out the Word as it's revealed to me. That's my first and foremost passion to allow the Spirit of God to manifest itself in me through His Word and through the Spirit that He gives to those who seek to follow Him through faith in Christ. My 1A passion would be my relationship with my wife, really trying to uh, maximize who she is and who we are together going forward. My definition of success really is making the most of the abilities and opportunities that God gives me to love him and to love other people. And that obviously has a ton of branches on it, but that really would sum it up for me that if I um, success for me is to, to use all that God gives me in resources and ability and opportunities to love him, to make him known and to love people. That's beautiful. Now you said that one of your passions is your wife. I'm newly married. Give me some marriage advice. It has to be worked at. There's nothing better when both the husband and wife are committed to the covenant of marriage under God, um, but to be about give and take and really enhancing the very best of your partner. And that takes work and time. My wife and I have been married 35 years, and I'm just beginning how to really heed her counsel and to really be about trying to serve her so that she becomes her best. And she's done that for me. And now I want to make sure I'm doing that for her. But really, it's about um, giving of yourself for the good of your partner. 
and making uh, service and sacrifice and to each other the highest priority. And when that happens, then God does some beautiful things, making two become one. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And um, you're doing a fantastic job. Stay the course, continue to keep on doing what you're doing, and uh, great things are in store. Yeah, I know. It's okay to have a fan crush on Clark. He really is that nice. It's not an act. If you want to see the video of him and President Obama playing horse at the White House, go to diferentepodcast.com and click on episode 118. Make sure you listen to the next episode in our access series where we will explore access through financial freedom with money expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Compton Game. That's episode 119. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.